12, Johannesburg. For SAFM News, I'm Anne Musa. You're listening to Facts of Faith on SAFM. The views and ideas expressed in this program are views expressly of the people sharing them and not of the anchor or of that of this broadcaster. All persons, juristic or natural, are to be held responsible for their own representations offered on this program by their agents and not this corporation. Any and all consumption of our conversational substance is entirely at your own discretion. Please be advised that this program airs subject matter that has the potential to destabilize and challenge your intellectual equilibrium. If you are excitable, profound caution when consuming our subject matter is advised. Participation in this program is a voluntary enterprise and as such is expected to be considered and deliberated on. Kindly note that, just as the anchor is, all participants, guests and callers are encouraged to engage in this our freedom of expression and any of our civil liberties responsibly. Facts of Faith begins right now. You're listening to Facts of Faith on SAFM. Hashtag Facts of Faith. I'm Nomusa Dubengbe, MEC Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs, Wazulnata. As the year 2016 draws to a close, I would like to thank all our citizens for their contribution in various ways to make us always treasure to be associated with our province. Every passing year since the advent of local government, our province continues to make giant leaps forward towards a better life for all our people against many odds. While some of our people are not yet having access to clean water, electricity, sanitation and many other services, we are proud of the strides we have made to date to make these basic services accessible to over 80% of our people in the province. Looking ahead to 2017, I implore each and every one of you to make 2017 and beyond years of unity in action. I wish all of you a happy and a successful New Year. Entertainment is king on SABC3, where we showcase the best in weekend movies. From action to drama to comedy, well, you name it. Set your movie reminders for Saturdays at 7 and 9 p.m. and on Sundays at 2.30 and 7 p.m. For more details, log on to our website at www.sabc3.co.za or check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Everything you need at your fingertips. Weekend movies. Get it on SABC3. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning to all the viewers out there. Great and peace upon I am grateful that you agreed to talk to us on New Year's and especially that you are bereaved. Sorry, sorry that we had to make you work during a time of grief. Yeah, for every voice is an invoice. Let's get down to it, Bishop. In your opinion, and I'm hoping that you're going to give us your opinion as a pastor and as a bishop and as a theologian based on scripture and, well, documentation as best as you can give us authority, why is it that the most religious people tend to be the poorest? The, the first perspective was that uh, poverty is a, is, is a formula. The formula that withdraws services, uh, work, education from the people. And when you spiritualize business, you're bound to be poor. People who spiritualize business and economics, basic regulations and rules on how to make money and how to survive, will end up in the gutter. What causes poverty is lack of resources. For the, right on the onset, and speak about issues of land, issues of capacitating people, empowerment of people, uh, uh, availing basic resources to the people which they can convert into wealth. However, when the theology that they are being taught teaches them not to be proactive in terms of harnessing those resources, getting those resources in their hands, because they've been docile under this pre-colonial form of religion where you must become humble and etc. And you end up accepting everything else and you refuse to work in the faith and hope that God will be your comfort and guide. You'll be poor. Business has basic rules and regulations. And you obey those rules, you will make money. You cannot pray for wealth, you work for wealth. And there's a difference between working on your blessing and working for your blessing. And I think many of us as Christians have been taught to work for our blessings instead of working on our blessings. What does it mean? What was the difference? Working on your blessings means that you have resources that are already in your hand. You develop them to mature into profit. Working for your blessings, someone else is responsible for your welfare, 
and you're trying to work your way across that. But I think Christianity teaches labor for blessings, not labor on blessings. For he who owns your land owns your blessings. If the African does not have land, therefore, he's working for his blessings. The one who has the land works on his blessings. God causes the rain to fall so that plants can grow, animals can multiply. But if you don't have land, that rain is going, is going to waste. Allow me so to, something to, that you call harvesting God's blessings. If you don't have resources, you cannot harvest what God has already blessed you with. Uh, you, you you touched on an issue that is very very popular in popular culture and in our political culture actually the issue of land and the African state of landlessness. I'm curious. Are you therefore suggesting that since the land is historically belonging to the African, but the African is not working on this land, are you effectively suggesting that whoever owns the land that now is supposed to belong to the African, is working on the blessing of the African? You can quote me officially. I'll declare this is the first controversial statement. South Africa will remember this for years. Whoever owns your land owns your blessings. Because God will cause seasons and weather patterns to change so that your blessings can mature. If you don't have access to that basic resource, then you are, you are living in a space of recycled resources that God has given you. When God sends the rain, he hopes that you're already blessed and you're prosperous. And by the way, land is the only real estate. The rest are estates. Real estate has to do with land. And whoever has a real estate has land. Banks are founded on land. So Christianity, if it does not address the issue of the black man owning back his land, we are actually teaching poverty rather than teaching our nation wealth. Is that what Christianity teaching? Is Christianity teaching poverty? It's teaching poverty if it becomes an academic expression of how to become holy, how to go to heaven, how to return tithes, how to marry, how to eat vegetables, and how to what, how to fumigate each other in churches. That cannot be a religion. Because that religion on its own is a, it's a traditionally based religion that is no form of economic maturation. Only those people who are now dealing with issues of land are talking... By the way, why did you open the Bible and talk about Israel and Egypt and etc.? If you're not talking about land and repossession, why did God take back the Israelites back to Israel? To Israel, if there was no issue of owning land, killing people, and then possessing the land yourself. So you're implying that what we see in the Bible is what it was supposed to be. It is correct. It is right. Is that what you're suggesting? I'm actually, I'm actually very glad that the same white people who brought the Bible to us, they've actually taught us that you can kill the people to own your land. So I, it's not me who wrote that. It's what, the, it's what the Bible they gave us that is teaching us. So why would the black man sit around and wait for the white man to recycle his blessing to him when he actually can own his land and then process the blessings of the Lord within the land? Because land is, is houses. Land is, is farming. Land is, is mining. Land is roads. Land is municipality. If we don't have land, what do you have? It sounds like you're inciting genocide and murder of a people, Pastor. I'm not inciting genocide except that they have actually conducted genocide. I'm, I want to talk about economic genocide first, before I can talk about spiritual genocide, before I can talk about social genocide. They have killed us four times more before we even killed them ourselves. They killed our culture, they killed our religion, they killed our economy, they killed our history, they killed everything, even our spirituality, even our God was killed. I'm not saying we're going to kill the white man, but if the Bible says do unto others what you want others to do unto you, what makes us think that they're an exception to the rule that they created? Using the same text, which is the Bible, which is actually the basis of our modus operandi. Modus operandi is that you work on the land for 50 years and give it to the next person who owns that land. That's the year of Jubilee, in the same Bible, by the way. So if you don't want me to talk genocide, then bring the Bible into the picture. Because once you bring the Bible into the picture, it does not support the injustice that the white man has done to the African land. But it does seem as though when you're saying the Bible supports one killing for land, that's what I'm suggesting implies genocide, Bishop. It, it suggests that the one who owns the land must own it. If the one who has taken it away from him owns it uh, disfavorably or he has done injustice or he has used manipulation or he has done a crime to own that piece of estate, it must be returned to its rightful owner. How becomes a political question? When becomes a Christian question? Who must do it becomes a social question. So we need to ask a whole fraternity of uh, interrogatives 
to say who, when, where, why. But there's no way we can teach Christianity and we don't take liberty. If a church collects tithes and offerings from the people and does not have and own and teach people to own the land from where the tithe is coming from, that church is a criminal activity church. That church is a church of thieves and thugs. How do you expect to collect tithes when people don't have a land? But let's 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 talk now about the present situation in our country, South Africa, and I suppose many other African countries and Africans who live in the diaspora. Is it possible, therefore, if we're following your interpretation of Scripture, that this Bible, the teaching of the Bible, the churches that teach this Bible, are teaching people to be poor? We actually have a theology of poverty. The theology of poverty has to do with people going to heaven in a sweet by and by. You know, walk around life, have a few benefits of coming again. We postpone all our present suffering to the future that heaven has in store for us. Whereas when you read the same Bible, it does not teach us that we must anticipate the second coming of Christ. It says, occupy until I come. What do you occupy when you have nothing? That's the first question I could ask. But until the African owns what God is rightfully given to him, we cannot teach theology and eschatology as a pie in the sky that we must postpone our activity on the present land because we hope that Jesus will come back in the soon by and by and take us to heaven, flying on some wings in the new Jerusalem. We don't need to go to heaven as an alleviation of poverty. We need to go to heaven as a reward for a good life on earth now. The white man can't have it good ways both ways. That on earth he has oppressed us, and in heaven he has a place in heaven also. The God of the oppressor and the slave can never be the same. And I'm not sure I follow you because we have this God of the Bible being the God of the oppressor and the God of the slave. I'm not quite sure if that statement is biblical, Bishop. You can unpack it, but exactly what I'm saying is that the one who is benefit and the one who is disadvantaged, the one who is oppressing and the one who is being oppressed, they cannot be kneeling down and worshipping and praying together and they're talking about the same item. But your Bible says that that's what happens there, especially on the Sabbath. It tells you who's the slave owner to give rest to your slave. You and your slave must observe the Sabbath. Therefore, your Bible teaches that. Africans must never go to church. Africans must never keep the Sabbath because the Sabbath was never given to slaves. It says you or your servant or your maid servant who are within your gate. So if your house is one gate, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not going to be a Sabbath keeper. You We think the concept of Sabbath keeping is a concept of ownership and having dominion and power over estate. If you don't have an estate, if you are still asking for someone to allow you Sabbath rest, then you don't even qualify to become a Sabbath keeper. Sabbath was given to masters, not to slaves. And those slaves tend to benefit. The point there, Bishop, is that you're suggesting that the God of the slave and the slave master can never be the same. And yet the text that you just quoted right now, Exodus 20, is uh, evidence of the fact that the God of the slave is the same God of the slave master. But the prerogative, the prerogative of function and operation and blessings are not to the slave. They are to the master. He's the one who says, it's either you, second person plural. You know your servant. So he owns everything else. And that's just the book of Genesis, when they have dominion. So the one who has dominion has access to Sabbath blessings, has access to land, has access to economic empowerment. If you are borrowing your life and you're borrowing your resources and borrowing your substance from your master, you don't qualify. You don't qualify into the economic realm. You don't qualify into Sabbath observance. But effectively, you are qualifying as a Sabbath observer in the Sabbath observance if your master is going to give you an instruction to observe and, and, and enjoy the Sabbath. As a slave. As a slave. Th- that's exactly the point there, Bishop. That the slave benefits from the blessings of the master. The master says okay. to the slave, you can the, rest the, on the is Sabbath. The, is, the master, is the master the one who has learned or the one who has stolen the land? Well, working on the land, or the one who is praying for the land. Who is the master? Is it the white man or the black man? That's the next question. No, no, that's not even the next question. The next, the question we need to answer now, Bishop, is that can we agree that the God of the of the master is still the same God of the slave? The slave is, is praying for a salary. The master is praying for rain. We can we can debate what they are praying for, but they are still praying to the same God. We have bigger issues to discuss. I will let this one go. But if the slave is actually praying for recycled blessings, the one who has access to the initial blessing is the master himself. All right. And until the African becomes the master, he's actually living in the shadow 
of the white man with always access to the resources where God can bless. For example, simple illustration. Okay. When God blesses the land and grass is growing and the cow eats grass and gives the cow, that's 100% benefit, 100% profit. Whereas when the slave is waiting around for a salary and waiting for profit or waiting for, for, for what you call it, interest on his, on, on his savings, you put your 100 bucks in the bank, you're waiting for 2% increment, the bank does your money works on it hundred times, and they give you, and they still charge you bank charges of the same money. Mm. You, you can never be wealthy, and if the church does not teach its members how to become economically viable, we are actually manufacturing slaves in the name of Jesus. Can we arrive at an understanding whereby we say, even if we're talking about a slave that is benefiting because the master has been blessed. This is not the first situation we see it in your Bible. Your churches, as you preach this Bible, teaches that from slavery, the Israelites in Egypt moved to take somebody else's land, the land of the Philistine, the Palestinians, well, Canaan, as we know it from Scripture, and they took an inhabited land that didn't belong to them. Was that wrong? Is it wrong for somebody to come and take somebody else's land? I'm trying to congregate what your Bible teaches with what happened with us here in Africa. The, the first point I have to, 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 to clarify is that sin can only be defined in the presence of the Lord. Yes. But that's what, if you're asking me, that's your so if God said is kill, not killing is sin. Because sin can be defined only in the presence of Yahweh himself. Fair enough. So in the midst of in the midst of the Israelites getting into the promised land and all that story, I would want to that the whole issue of the Israelites is based on land on ownership. And the very item which will become a thorn in the flesh should the African start talking to his master with a white man about land. Then you are deemed as uncivilized, you are deemed as ungrateful, as uneducated, the one who just wants to become barbaric and etc. But the question is, when you own the same land, and by the way, when I emphasize land, because our discussion is based on economics, but so many economics that does not work with land. For land in itself is the key focus of the entire biblical text. That God would create and develop a nation and help them and assist them through wars and conquest on how to own other people's land. But however, having said that, we need to put it on record that sin can only be defined in the, in the sight of God. If God says kill, not killing therefore becomes sin. Therefore, if that be true, would we therefore agree that our presence plight either an act of God, and if it is an act of God, for how long shall the act of God continue to weigh upon us? For the Bible, same Bible, teaches us that it can go on for 50 years, 70 years, if you look at the Israelites in Babylon, but there must be a cycle and of, of recycling of land and redistribution of land. But you cannot tell me that for 500 years the African man has been oppressed over land, and God himself has become silent. There is no precedence in the Bible of such oppression in its own nature, except the white man's greed that has reduced us to slaves on our own land. And with that own land, religion and Christianity becomes a watchman that makes us docile, so that we cannot revenge and fight over the ownership of black men's land. But if we should use the Bible as a, pre- as a premise, we are on the land. The white man must be the slave, and the black man must be the master. Uh, coincidentally, um, if we're calculating 2017 minus 1652, we have 365 years between the arrival of Jan van Riebeck on our shores up until today. Now, what I'm trying to understand is ever since we have been able to interact with those we are blaming to take our land, we have not been able to answer why is it that we do not accept it when it is happening to us, and yet your Bible teaches that it was the promised land given to the Israelites when it happened to the Canaanites. What is the difference there? The same land that the Israelites were given to, which belonged to the Canaanites, we are not taking our land as black people, which was given to someone else. We have our own land. It has been taken away from us. We have been disenfranchised. The same we thing that happened to the Canaanites, Bishop. Hello? 
it's the same thing that happened to the Canaanites. They were disenfranchised in their own land. We are not Canaanites. We are not Canaanites. We are, we are Africans. I agree, Peter. And we, 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 have, we have not been, we are not part of the Exodus experience. We are told to go into Canaan and kill the Canaanites and take their land. We are not Canaanites. But they're in life. We have been robbed. We have been, we have, we have been robbed. We have been undermined. We have been downplayed. And we have been cheated out of our own inheritance. Therein lies the point there, Bishop, because even today we still have a war in the Middle East predicated on the fact that they don't believe in this God that dispossessed them in their land, of their land, just like we may not want to agree that the white man had an injunction from God to come and take over African land. The position is still the same. They don't believe that... I want, I want to go back to your question. Yes, sir. Which is discussion of Christianity being the source of African poverty. Yes. That with the issue of white men owning the land, the kingpin on the whole discussion is that we have religion that manages our emotion. That, that, that for me, that's the underpinning factor. Had we not religion in our hands, I'm not lying to you, would have killed the white men and gone back home. They would have run out through the windows and jumped into the sea. But because we have been taught that Christianity says something, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, Love your love, God, your God, and what is do unto others, Lala, all those funny stories. In the midst of us accepting this Christianity that makes us docile, we're now talking economics, and economics is not docile. Economics is, cannot be put in the same blanket with politics. Is it not possible to gain economic freedom without violence, Pastor? That's the whole idea. Seek you first, the kingdom of heaven, and his righteousness. All this is added unto you. Beautiful verses that we hear. So what is he saying? When the Jesus comes again for the second time, everything will be okay. So the white man is an opportunity of enjoying his life here, enjoying his life on the other side, and the black man can't wait to get on the other side. And hell no, when a black man finds himself in hell. You will have lost twice. Life on earth and life in heaven. So what are you saying there, Pastor, that you're not able to preach good news to your people because your Bible doesn't allow you to do so? Is that what you're saying, Pastor? I cannot walk around and collecting offerings from people who are servants and slaves on the master's yard in the pretext and under the understanding that they believe in God. Or take the world, but give me Jesus. Those are kind of rubbish songs that I've heard being sung in churches. Take the world and give me Jesus. Take the land and give me Jesus. As if you believe Jesus, I, when I have Jesus, I have everything. What is it, Jesus that is everything and your fees is not paid? You are living at the back of a mkuku and you have Jesus. Because when he comes again, everything will be okay. That form of religion is demonic in its own sense. Because God never created us as slaves. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the beasts of the land, and the birds of the air. When will the African fully accept the dominion mandate that God has given to him? How long are we going to cry that God has not blessed us? Right now in South Africa, in 2016, end of 2016, it's raining with beautiful rain. How many of us are able to harvest that rain? Those who can harvest it are selling it to us on our taps, are selling it to us in terms of electricity, are selling it to us in terms of construction. But the African still remains poor in the midst of God pouring out his blessings. He who has no land, I come back again, owns your blessings. Until the African has access to the resources that God has given to him, all religious, politic, and, and, and systematic, hermeneutic, will not assist in terms of making money. Money is business. Religion is oppression. Then, because it is sleeping in the same bed with politics. Why then do you preach to us as a bishop and a pastor if you don't believe in this Jesus you're preaching? When I was young, I spoke like a young man. I'm old now. I speak like an old man. When I was young, I spoke of a religion and preached about the second coming of Jesus in the clouds of heaven. All eyes shall see him and we shall look like him, white as snow. But all rubbish does not hold where I am right now. What really matters right now and must accept poverty is poverty is a creation of mankind. It's not a creation of God. Poverty is a man made business. Because someone is benefiting from the poverty of another. The one who is selling you food is making money out of you. The one who is giving you transport is making money out of you. The one who is building you a house is making money out of you. The one who is selling you fuel is making money out of you. And what are you? You are just a slave on the same economy where you are working hard eight hours a day while the white girls and white women are sitting in Sandin, sitting sipping coffee during the whole day while black men is working hard on the taskmaster. Again, it's not fair. Again, I ask uh, there, Bishop, why then are you preaching the same message if you don't believe in it being correct? 
you don't want to sit on, on my feet these days and you're asking me that question. I was there. And I'm saying, when I was young, when I was a small boy, I used to talk like that. I'm an old man now. I'm going 50 years old, and I cannot talk the same gospel. The one who has learned is access to the blessings. Stop praying for blessings. Start working on your blessings. And when you have learned, you have nothing. Remain as a slave. We cannot be putting on ties, driving every morning to Sentin, walking into concrete jungles as officers. I'm a manager of this, managing this, managing, managing my foot. You are running other people's estate. The Bible says, go for six days shall thou labor. Do thy work, not the white man's work. Do thy work. Do thy work. What is your work? What is your mission? What is your purpose? What is your vision? If you don't have the vision, you don't have the purpose and what you are working on, how can God bless you if you have no land? Even a rain falls and you cannot harvest it. How can it benefit from you? You have no plants in the ground. You have no animals on the field. You have no dam you can harvest from. How can God bless you? When he pours out a blessing and you have no container to pick it up. Food can be lying outside the house, but God will never put it in your mouth until you find a time. Harvest what God has blessed you with. will keep on praying prayer. And those prayers will not be answered because the prayers are already available. If we don't have access to resources, God cannot assist us. You, the white man is enjoying those benefits. You spoke of a text, and I'm not quite sure if you still believe in that very biblical text about seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and other things shall be added unto you. Are you therefore suggesting that text is no longer biblical? Are you therefore suggesting no, that text... No, that text must be read by white people, not the people. They must read it themselves. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. I'm a shield cover. Leave the land alone, because it's you who is teaching, seek the kingdom of heaven first. So why are they seeking our land first, instead of seeking the kingdom of heaven? Why are they seeking our economy first, before they seek the kingdom of heaven? Seek the kingdom of heaven, let the white men look for God first, before he holds our land. Again, Pastor, I'm not sure if I'm picking up a taste of racism in your remarks there, when you say the white man rage, and the black not, man. Not racism, rage, rage. Don't call it racism, call it rage, anger. This but anger- the same people who are teaching us, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and it's righteousness. They are seeking our land and it's wealth. And this has to do with people of a particular race. It's the white man first. I'm not mixing my words. The white man. That's what I'm trying to understand there, Bishop. Are you therefore suggesting that this poverty is perpetuated by a particular Whoever race? Whoever is working with oppression is working with the devil. The white man right now is in a relationship with the devil to oppress the black man. I can, I can, I can back that up. How do you back that up? Explain the, it. The one who is causing pain to another. He's not a Christian. He's not holy. He's not righteous. He's the one who is, who is causing grief to the African nation. Inasmuch as the African man can also have capacity, having been taught by a white man how to be greedy and make oppress a fellow, for fellow Africans. But if the white man should sit around on a 6.8 hectares land, 6.9 kilometers, or 150 kilometers of land, square kilometers, all by himself, in the land of capitalism, that man is a devil. How can we squeeze people in Soweto living on top of each other? And five kilometers out of Soweto, there's a white man who owns a farm up to Lebanon by himself with a small little house on a hill. And we call this justice. This is evil of the greatest order. I'm not saying white men must just throw away all their land. Take what you can use. The rest gives to other people who can also utilize on it. And work on it. And develop on it. And get blessed on it. If the black man has no land, and you give him the Bible. He still remains poor. The Bible does not make anyone rich. Underline that, Naya. Underline that. It sounds like now you're contradicting yourself, Bishop. Initially, you said religion causes people to be poor. And now you seem to be blaming the poverty on the white man. Because he's holding the resources to the same blessing. So which is it? Is it religion or the white man that gives us po- poverty? The white man brought the religion camouflaged in his own intellectual religious activities that he has taught us. When, when religion came here, it came to us dressed up in white clothes, white culture, white music, white food, white language. So you can never underestimate that history is written in the color of the one who is writing it. Our history as black people, even now, South African history, is written in the language of the white. So it's an oppressive history. It's not an honest history. And then how do we explain poor whites in London? How do we explain poor whites in all of if Europe? they're poor in their own homeland, I don't have pity and mercy for them. But that's our issue, the if, issue of poverty there, Bishop. How do we explain poverty if you're going to blame it on a particular race? 
the economic policies we've adopted, like capitalism, for example, it must improve that they are not holy, they're not righteous, they are evil in themselves. Because how can America be donating money to Africa in terms of aid? But when the same America is poor people in Brooklyn, in New York, I was there, in the Bronx, people are sleeping under bridges. Yet America walks up to Africa and says, we're donating 1,600 million, whatever it's supposed to be. We don't need this money. Go and look after your own people. Now we know. It's not about you donating money to us. It's you buying some certain benefits from the African land and you want to get them 10 times more the money that you are willing to donate to us. is free. And by the way, when they donate donor money, they bring their own workers, they bring, and they take the same money back to their own homes. I work with some few NGOs. I can qualify what I'm saying. They give 150 million, they bring their specialists, they bring their project managers who are going to be paid from the same donor money. By the end of the project, the government is owing 150 million and it all has gone back to their own land. What do you say? What do you, what do you call that? Find a book called Donor Money Someday. I read that book a few years ago. But the honest truth is that we cannot even sit around and look like and pretend as if everything is fine. We have been messed up. We have been cheated. We have been robbed. And I want to qualify as a minister of religion that religion has been the culprit of the African reaction. We cannot move an inch. Our consciences are bound the religion oppression. So effectively, there is, in your opinion, a correlation between religion and a particular race as white people, you're suggesting, before is a cause. Before the white men came here, we were not poor and I, and, and We did not have orphans. No, 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 take, take slowly. We did not have orphans. There was no prison. But there was when crime. Was, when was the first prison introduced in Africa? I understand. I don't dispute that. What I'm trying to say is, in spite of the fact we that we did not... We did not have currency. Livestock was our currency. Long Aussie came, spoke what she spoke. The cows drove their cows into the land. The ones that remained, the white men took them and you had to pay cow tax. For you to keep a cow, you must pay tax on it. Who was collecting that money? For who? The feminist policies were formed. That's how districts were formed. You even had to pay tax for a beard. How wicked are these white people? How wicked are they? You must let me pay a tax for a beard. I'm keeping a beard. We must look like you, the white man must shave. Yes. We're going to conclude our conversation now, Bishop. I need you to be as direct as possible in, in responding to this particular question. Are you therefore saying Christians are bound to be poor because of their religion? The religion that we have accepted, which has been based up in a white jacket, does not allow the black man to fully explore the benefits that God has given to him. Because the land that God has given to him has been dispossessed from him into another hand. And because it has moved to another hand, the blessings are in the hands of the one who owns the land. The quality of Christianity as it is being taught in churches right now is a docile, prayerful, faithful, graceful, forgiving, full, the Lord is coming again, eschatological, gibberish, and parousia cliché that makes the African person inactive. Please underline that word. Inactive in terms of him harvesting, mastering benefits, and becoming an economic giant that the rest of the world can contend with. As long as we hold on to this Christian teaching of African Africans being less citizens than the white men, there is no way we'll ever make it into the economy and break through the economic barrier. We are bound economically, we are bound socially, we are bound politically, we are also bound religiously. There is what I want to term and underline it again, Spiritual colonialism. Until it is fully addressed, the black men will never be free. So you're saying Christianity as it is, is going to cause people to be poor? We actually teach poverty, to be honest. What are you saying? As a minister of religion, are you saying people should stop following Christianity? Is that what you're suggesting? We need to, we need, we need, we need to go back to the institutions that are producing ministers and teach them African theology, not Western-based theology. That is being written by some Canadian men sitting on a pool somewhere somewhere in uh, on Ontario, telling us what must be happening in Africa. Surely you do know that so, your Bible is not Canadian yeah. there, Bishop. It is not... No, know. no, the issue, by the way, the issue of the Bible, the issue is the commentary of the Bible and the hermeneutic around the Bible, interpretation. And what we teach in our schools is not the Bible. We teach interpretation. In- Thematic theology, doctrine formulation, and etc., principle formulation, is interpretation. So both... And that we- interpretation is not black-based. It's okay. white-based. So and white, but let me, let me qualify, white, male, sexist, basically. So you're suggesting now the issue is hermeneutics and exergesis that is the problem with religion, not religion itself. 
for the purpose of those that are listening to me out there, go and pick up your top 15 books on hermeneutics, theology, and interpretation. Show me one black person that contributed. You're going to come up with Shambaka, Beckhoff, the Germans, the Russians, the Americans, lots of them, of course, the British, the Englishmen, and etc. And they are all interpreting how the black man must behave working with the white man. We call that theology. That's not theology. That's politics. Of the what books that you have penned down, Bishop, you have not penned down a book. I have all of them. I have all of them. You can walk up to my library again for another day, and I can show you that in the midst of what you call Christian theology, there's nothing Christian theology. It's what you call white theology. I'm talking about you now, uh, Bishop. You have not written yes, a book on hermeneutics, have you? I'm working on one right now, preaching dynamics. Okay. Almost done. Almost completed. An African perspective of how to interpret scriptures. When the Bible says, you or your master or your son, and I'm putting the black man, is that it, what, if, what if once the black man can read the Bible and he's the subject of the Bible, not the object of the Bible? You have a minute there, Bishop. This is your opportunity to say whatever you believe should be the abiding thought in the mind of the listener. One minute. Go ahead, Bishop. We're in the space of thinking, space of developing our, our theological tools as fellow Africans. And what I can admit is that what brought us here will not take us there. As Africans, we've been taught whatever we've been taught, Wesley Church, Methodist, Catholic, Adventist, I don't care what religion we're coming from. But if you can, if you can stand with me and agree that this, all these churches that are based in the West, they came dressed up in the thinking of the West. They have no way in themselves do they desire to empower the black man to become what he must be. At the end of the day, you must become a European before you become Christian. Before God can before God can accept you, therefore you are actually a recycled Christian, far from God. You must actually become more like West. And you must put on your ties. You must put on your jacket. You must put on, so that you look like you are complying to Western culture before God can accept you. I know you're better now. You are a cultural man, but if you start feeling guilty in your cultural clothes, worshiping your God, then I will worship you. You must wake up one morning and you dress up fully cultural, and walk up to your church. If you feel less holy in that space, then you're an worshiper. But what God will you worship now who cannot speak Kosa? Yes. What God can you worship who cannot speak Shona? If, okay. if, if your God cannot speak your own... Oh, my brother, walk away. He's an idol. All right. We're going to leave our conversation right there, Bishop. Thank you very much for coming through and talking to us. I'm looking forward to a time when you're going to sit across the table and we tackle more issues together. But until then, Make an appointment now and let's do some coffee and let's thresh this thing last. We'll do this. Thank my, you heart is, my heart is boiling and my head is spinning, but know, there, there is serious damage we need to discuss and fix. African people, arise! Yes. Africa, arise! Bless you, my Lord. Naye Lupondwana on Facts of Faith. Now we turn our attention to the Baha'i perspective. After we heard some views from the Bishop Maponga, Joshua Maponga III, about the question we're trying to get answered, why is the most religious people are the most poor? Now we're trying to get the Baha'i perspective. And joining us in the studio is Flora Teki, a representative of the Baha'i faith, of the Baha'i community, and an architect by a profession. She gives up her, her perspective, trying to give us some insights, and I'm hoping that in all that we're doing right now, we get some answers. Flora Teki, good morning to you, and thank you very much for joining us. Good morning, Naye. Um, for those of our listeners who may not be familiar with the Baha'i Faith, I would like to share a few words about it. The Baha'i Faith is an independent world religion. It is 172 years old. It has its own sacred scriptures, laws, calendar, and holidays. The founder of the faith, Baha'u'llah, was born 199 years ago. So the Baha'i communities will be celebrating the 200th anniversary of his birth next year. So we are very excited about that. Now coming to the question, Naye, which you raised, um, um, there are, of course, a number of things to look at uh, related to the poverty and related to religion. In the Baha'i belief, we anticipate development of communities in which the well-being of every individual is the concern of the whole, not only those who are religious and praying to God. But really, we need to look at 
the advantages of the whole humanity, the well-being of the whole humanity. Hold on, so, hold on there. You're, you're leaving me behind. What, what we're trying to get to is from the perspective of Baha'u'llah and the gleanings from Baha'u'llah and any other document you may be using to, to come to you, to arrive at your conclusions, we need from you as the Baha'is to help us understand. What do you believe is the cause of people who are religious being poor? The thing is, poverty to me is not related because you're religious or you're not religious. Poverty is a condition which is mainly created uh, because of injustices in society. Such as? For example, lack of access to education. When we treat women inferior to men, that's an injustice against half the population of the world. And violence against women, which we just, uh, you know, had 16 days to contemplate on, to try to see what we can do about it. These are injustices in society. We find women uh, are the bigger percentage of poor in the world, for example, than men. Why? Because they are not given the same opportunities, the same rights. Now, from the Baha'i perspective, every human being should be given the same rights, the same opportunities. And we have to have justice towards humanity. Justice should not be limited to one group of uh, uh, society. You know, the problem today is that uh, we do not treat each other as equals. We do not have justice, which is international. For example, a man killing a man in his own country, he goes to jail for many years. A man killing thousands in a war is a national hero. I think these are, these are the things we need to look in terms of justice. We need to have justice towards humanity. Do you we need it to is look injustice? at the, do you believe the cause of poverty amongst poor community, poor religious people is injustice? A great part of it is injustice, but another, another cause of uh, poverty is uh, because we are using our resources for wrong reasons. For example, you know, if you look at the resources in the world, we have enough resources to cater for well-being, education of every human being, for sustenance of every human being. However, we are using a great chunk of those resources for wars. Hold on, hold on. For uh, conflicts. Oh, You're speaking about the general community. What I'm talking about is among people who are of faith, and yet people of faith are not the wealthiest in the world. When you look at the statistics, though they don't tell us that poor people are religious because they are poor. But it does tell us that those who tend to be religious tend to be poor. And that's the question we're asking. Is it because perhaps that this God, Allah, Christ, or Baha'u'llah in your situation is not blessing them? You see, my brother, (laughs) the question here is not a group, this group or that group. The question is, today, well-being of a group very closely relates to the well-being of humanity. We cannot segregate a group from the humanity. Yeah? If we are talking about a group's well-being, we have to look at the whole humanity and, and look at the humanity's well-being. And the other thing is, you know, when you look at the religion, religion is not only about praying. Religion is about action. Prayer and action must go hand in hand. And very often, religious conflicts is the biggest cause of poverty in the world today. We find people are displaced because of religious conflicts. People are uh, persecuted because of religious conflicts. So that is another aspect. You know, the Baha'i faith believes all religions come from one God, and we should love all the religions. We should love the followers of all religions and treat them as equal. And now you find a big chunk of our money is going to wars, and those wars are, many of them are religious. Why? You know, Baha'u'llah says if religion divides you, it's better not to have any religion because the religion comes for unity and peace and love and not for us to divide against each other. So instead of using our resources for wars, for conflicts, and for, for example, another issue... I'm going to interject. I want to read some statistics. Let let me read some statistics to you that prove the point that we're trying to get to. As you were looking at me, trying to page through my technology here, I was trying to get to that statistics. It reads, and and, and I'm going to read it verbatim. This is not me. This is what has been penned down by researchers. It reads, China is the least religious country yet. It's the corruption. It has a corruption perception level is lower than seven of the most religious countries. Ethiopia 
is the most religious country, yet it is the poorest within these poor, which is counterintuitive if you look at the statistics. Ukraine, which has the lowest GDP per capita amongst the least religious countries, is richer than 90% of the most religious countries. Four, 70% of the least religious countries are less corrupt than the most religious countries. Five, Japan, the second least religious country, ranks 18th on the Corruption Perception Index ahead of every top 10 religious country. Now, this speaks to the contrast between religiosity and poverty, or at the very least, religiosity and the potential to be rich. Now, the question I'm asking you from the Baha'i perspective, why is it that countries that are supposed to be with God, but them and their God don't seem to be blessing one another? God is not blessing them. Why? See, from the Baha'i perspective, to be religious is not only to believe. To be religious is to believe and to act. For example, the principles of religion are loving one another, treating each other as equal, as one, right? Treat others as you want to be treated, right? To be just to each other. So if we are, if, if we are only saying by praying to God we are religious, that is not from the Baha'i faith a religious person. But what I'm asking, right? madam, so, is, so is, to is be the religious, yeah, the thing is, the issue of poverty is because of injustice, because of lack of unity. Those are the points I'm trying to put across. The Baha'i faith says, for example, Baha'u'llah says, the earth is but one country and mankind its citizens, right? And the Baha'i writings say, Truthfulness is the foundation of all human virtues. Now, when you are talking about corruption in religious countries, right? It means they are not following what God says. All religion says we should be truthful, we should be trustworthy. So if we are not following that teaching, all religions say we should be just to our fellow men. What does it mean to treat others as you want to be treated if it is not the principle of justice, if it is not the principle of uh, not being selfish, and care for others, serve others. So if we p- follow those principles, right, wouldn't that help to get rid of the poverty? So you're suggesting if that religious are, communities are not religious at all. In fact, they are <laughs> betraying their faiths. I, the thing is, I'm not suggesting, I'm not re- trying to criticize anyone, but I'm just putting across the basic principles of religion. If you are talking about truthfulness and trustworthiness, no, ma'am, I'm not suggesting if you are that you're talking about, anyone, yeah, I'm asking if... If you're saying that it is because of injustice and lack of truthfulness, yeah, but those that's what religion is that, that that are supposed to be religious. You're suggesting that they are not genuinely religious. They don't really believe in their faiths because in their conduct, which has resulted in them being poor, it's because they have not been keeping to their faith. Is that what you're suggesting? You see, there are many more reasons. For example, but, extremes uh, of wealth and poverty is one of the reasons for majority of people in the world to be poor because we have those extremes. What is causing yeah? the extremes? Extremes matter? of, again, par- partially is corruption. Partially is lack of honesty. Uh, partially is our systems which need to look at this issue closely. Shouldn't corruption and be irrelevant to yeah, people who are, fa- who are people I of finish, faith? I finish, sorry. No, ma'am, I don't, I don't want you to finish the point. I know your point. time is... Yes, I, that's yes. why I need you to answer the question that I'm asking. Is, shouldn't corruption, as you're suggesting, be irrelevant to people of faith? Because the issue of yes, faith... Yes, it shouldn't be. Because, because corruption and honesty and tr- trustworthiness do not go together. And why are people of faith who are not supposed to be corrupt poor? They are not corrupt. Why are they poor? Because of, for example, um, the extremes of wealth and poverty. We have very few percentage in the world who have more than perhaps you know GDP of many, many countries, right? And that is injustice again. So it means our laws need to look at that. We need to, we need to adjust our tax systems or whatever it is. There are many ways of, of course, looking into the economic problems and how to solve them. But that is another thing which we need to look at it legally. How do we reduce the gap between poor and rich? Doesn't mean we should make everybody equal. In the Baha'i faith, we believe there must be differences, but that difference must be much less than it is at the moment. So, and then no one should be suffering from lack of sustenance, from lack of education, from lack of all these things. 
from the Baha'i so faith? One, do you believe one is in... the wars, right? Wars are taking a big chunk of our resources. Hold Two, on, hold on extremes of wealth and poverty. Three, religious conflicts. You know, we need to look at all these. These are deeper issues related to poverty. But those religious conflicts and poverty and extremes of, of, of riches contrasting with poverty, those issues, again, don't speak to yours and my faith. Whether there are extremes of, of, of riches and poverty in the world, that shouldn't affect me as a, as a Baha'i. If I'm a Baha'i, then God should be able to bless me regardless of the wars that are happening there. In fact, he must be able to bless me in spite of it all, isn't it? You see, Naya, the Baha'i faith has brought new principles to bring order, a new world order in the, in the world. It's talking about universal peace harmony of science and religion because often when we practice religion we don't think science has anything to do with religion you know and we are either a religious person or or we are a scientist now Baha'i faith is saying no the two must come together the, the combination between faith and science has happened long before the Baha'i faith so it's not something that comes yeah. with the Baha'i faith the thing is the Baha'is are working with all those who are like-minded those who believe in these principles to bring change in the world, to bring peace on earth. We have one but to have peace now. on earth, we need to eliminate the question of poverty. We need to, to get rid of the extremes of wealth and poverty. We need to direct our resources for welfare of humanity rather than wars. We need to look at religion as a unifying force rather than a force which is dividing us against each other, just like racism, like nationalism, all these things. We need to really look at them. We are one humanity under one God, and it does not make sense for us to divide. And all these divisions are the cause of all the unhappiness, all the wars, the poverty, all that is division. It is conflicts. It is truly it is a lack of care for others and only thinking of my my salvation depends to the salvation of the world. All right. And that's how we're going to conclude our conversation here with um, Flora Teki, representative of the Baha'i faith and an architect by profession. We've heard the perspective from the Christians, from Bishop Maponga and now uh, Flora Teki. It is by far not an exhaustive conversation, but you can now pick your own brain. Find out for yourself. Why is it that your religious people are the most poor in the world?